Welcome back to Dare to Feel. I'm your host, Alexandra Roxo, creative artist, best-selling author of Fuck Like a Goddess, transformational and spiritual mentor and coach. This series is based on my book, Dare to Feel. In each episode, we'll deepen into topics around intimacy, relationship, spirituality, embodiment, and beyond. In today's episode, we're speaking with Brie Luna about what it means and what it feels like to pour your heart and soul, your deepest stories into a book that you're going to share with the world in the most vulnerable way. Also, what it takes to be a visionary today, to have a clear brand and aesthetic that actually shapes culture. I hope you enjoy. Hi, everybody. I am so excited to reunite today with Brie Luna, who I've known since I think 2015, 16, something like that. And I'm just so stoked for her new book that is out in the world. And uh, we'll talk all about it today. But first, I want to read you a little bit about her. So Brie Luna is the founder of The Hood Witch, which you guys probably know, a web platform and lifestyle brand dedicated to empowering, educating, and cultivating community through meaningful rituals, supporting self-care and wellness. Brie is devoted to offering everyday magic for the modern mystic through her art and is an advocate for the use of traditional healing practices to address modern day challenges. Bree's work has been featured internationally and in major publications, including Vogue, ID, and the New York Times. Her latest book, Blood, Sex, Magic, Everyday Magic for the Modern Mystic, released in October, is an invitation and an awakening, a guide toward a life of connection to self and spirit, to the unseen and seen realms, and to magical traditions past and future. Welcome. I'm so excited to hear about this book and about what you've been up to. So glad to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. It's like we're finally reunited again. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I was thinking today, I was reflecting. I was like, okay, we did an event back in, in, I guess it was like 2016 or, or something like that, right? Yes, that was when I first opened my studio and it was so cool. And we had the, was that when we had, was there a harp, harpist? I think there was a harpist. Yeah, it was because we yeah. had on the cute, like, oh my God, that was so long ago. I have I to find the photos. I know. I feel like I was a cute little baby, baby witch doing my thing. I remember I was like, I called in the ancestors and you were like, wait, be careful. <laughs> Don't call them all in. <laughs> Wait, I was like, shit. Okay, good. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> no, that building was really haunted, but you did. When we came in and we sort of like cleansed out the space and set it up and you were just like doing your thing, it was really beautiful. And, and I feel like I'm not joking. After that event, um, the space had always felt really, really light. It always felt mm. um, really protected. Yeah. There was some spooky shit that happened after – you know, in that building, but never in my studio. Wow. Wow. (laughs) What happened to that shop? Is it, do you still have that shop? So during COVID, um, or right before the pandemic, I closed it down mostly because of increased, you know, retail space pricing and studio pricing, stuff like that. Everything was just going really, really expensive in Seattle. 
Um, and then COVID happened and just, it, it is an old, like historic building. So a lot of the artists and small business owners that were, um, working out of that built, you know, out of that space, out of the building, they really couldn't afford it anymore. And then it just, you know, everything just shut down. So a lot of artists and like a lot of yeah. people had to leave. And so I just mm. had to move out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, most people have been soaking in your gifts and magic via the internet in general, via Instagram for years. And I'm just excited that you have a book so that people can like just honor you in a deeper way. Not that honoring you on Instagram isn't deep, but there's something about your body of work coming together in a book that I just feel really excited about for you, for people to have in their homes, to have outside of their phones. So I, I was, one of the things I found really interesting is that you did, you kept this a secret. So you kept the secret that you were writing this book. So what, why? Tell us why. So one of the biggest things um, in my own personal practice really is about just staying quiet and really focusing my energy into a project or if that's a spell, if it's a project. Like this really was very um, – how do I explain it? It was very cathartic for me and it was something a lot deeper than an Instagram post. You know, as you were mentioning earlier, it's like this is more in depth. It's about my life. It's about my practice. It's sharing rituals. It's sharing practical magic. It's talking about my son. It's talking about, you know, my grandmothers and my family. So I do think that my readers are going to get a very different side of me. And so why I kept this a secret I don't know. I just, I felt like it would be more fun to just sort of like pop it onto people. (laughs) And also I am like a firm believer that no one can interfere with your magic or your plans if you don't tell them what you're doing. Um, Mm -hmm. Because you know, and, and you know this already, like just working in this realm and in the space, it's like, ideally we want everyone to be supportive of us and everyone's going to be like so excited but there are people who aren't happy for you and you don't want their like nasty energy like their oh like you don't want it on your like projects so I'm just like "Mm, I think I want to just like put this into the world and have it as a surprise (laughs) yeah I love that I think there's something beautiful to honoring that process and I feel I was talking to a friend of mine who's an author and she was like I really recommend people not to, and this is my friend Ruby Warrington, who you know Ruby too. Oh, Ruby, um, yeah. Yeah. But um, she was like, I recommend people to not be sharing about their book projects for a long time before because it also just with online, things pass fast. And so it's mm-hmm. like having deciding when the moment is going to be so that it's potent. It's not kind of watered down and like stretched so far. I think that's a great way. And I think a lot of people assume the opposite. They're like, I need to start promoting years oh, in advance. No, <laughs> no, like, no, no. There's too I, much going on. Yeah. I, I'm a really firm believer. Um, really, if you have big news, if you have a huge project that you're working on, if it's something that you really love, and it's exactly what we were just sort of speaking to Ruby's point. It's like the more that you drag it out, it's like people really do have like the very short attention span, especially with social media. So it is important that you 
stick to a date or, you know, like stick to a time where you just like, you plan out your execution and then you like attack. <laughs> exactly. So. Exactly. I love that. All my friends are like, when are you going to tell the internet that you're, you're pregnant? When are you going to tell your audience? And I was like, I, I'm just going to wait until things are really solid and, and in a great deep place. I do not need everybody to be involved in every step of the process. And once that feels right and things feel protected and strong, then I can, I can lay that down, but like very intentionally. So, um, I think there's something to the internet being a place where there has been historically a lot of people over share and share everything and every step of the way, but you I've always admired because (laughs) you're very private and discreet. And I'm curious. So in your book, do you share a little bit about your private and personal journey? Yes. So in the book, it is a lot deeper. And I do think a lot of this has to do with my Scorpio placements. (laughs) I'm always like, I need to have mystery. I'm like, don't perceive me, but do. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm, you know, I I, I definitely do. I am not an oversharer. And that was probably my biggest struggle in writing this book. It was like, how much do I want to put about myself, my real self into the world, you know, and and it's scary. It's, it's really frightening. And it's like, how much like, is this too self-indulgent? And my friends and my family, as they were reading it, they're just like, no, this is beautiful. Like, Mm. I mean, I'm talking about like child loss and abortion Mm. and, pregnancy and having my son and, you know, magic surrounding loss and grief and losing family and losing friends and, um, relationships and sex and just all kinds of things, you know? So it's like, (laughs) really, I'm like things that I don't really get to like share and that I have not really felt comfortable with sharing on my social media platform. I'm really giving my readers a very real, very different side to myself versus just like, this is a witch aesthetic or like, here's a cool art picture, you know, but I've never really been that person of like, here's a witch aesthetic. It's like, I've always pulled imagery or symbolism in art that felt really good to the story that I was going to share or the information I was going to share. Yeah. Your aesthetic is so you. And it's interesting because I'm sure there have been tons of people that have tried to copy it, but I've, (laughs) but, but it's so you, it's so precisely you like, and, and it's clear and it's, um, there's nothing about it to me that feels confusing or like questioning itself. It feels very confident and clear. And I'm curious, as you started the Hood Witch platform, do you feel like you had that vision? You knew exactly what it was going to look like and feel like, or was that something that happened over time? Interestingly enough, it's something I really envisioned. Um, I think with the visual components, you know, everyone knows my aesthetic and everyone at this point by now, um, it's undeniable. I think from the nails to, you know, back in the day, it was like 
the nails with crystals and I'm like holding a different crystal or like a tarot card. And it's always just been this like disembodied hands <laughs> with these like nails, you know? And so to me, it was always like really putting in, I loved art. I love contemporary art. I love fashion and glamour and magic, you know? So I, and I like loved like witchcraft and like witchy aesthetic as people would say, but not like at that time, I think when I launched Hood Witch, at, during that time, there was a big, um, I don't know, I, I, like most of the visuals that were in like the witch community were very much like the black and silver. It was like the old kind of Wiccan, you know, and, and it's like you have me and it's like, oh, well, I'm black and Mexican and like I want to share like culturally what the brujas in my community look like or what my grandmothers look like. They had like long nails or, you know, we want to show like the colorful nails and like the botanica, like having candles and like going, you know, having that visual aesthetic. Um, nobody was doing that at the time. And yeah. you know that. So it's like when I brought in, you know, my candles and I put in my crystals, it's like I was not, I did not fit in to any pagan, witchy, like I did not fit in anyone's group. So I was like, I don't care. Like I'm making my own lane. So visually, um, I stand very firm and, and it's so cool because I got like, um, an interview for Vogue with just my, for my nail art. And so that became, I remember that article. Yeah. Yeah. It, it became very synonymous with like my brand identity. And I was just, I've always just been like a very creative person. So to me, like making sure that I was showing representation of like who I was in a space that did not have, you know, room for me, it was like, oh, I don't need this. I don't need to be in anyone else's space. Like I am the space. So I made my own thing. <laughs> yeah. Had you had any background in like branding or creative direction or anything like that that you were bringing? No, I did not. (laughs) Interestingly enough, I think that um, truly for the past 10 years now working with Hoodwitch and having my vision and being very strong and like my visual content, that's me. I am a college dropout. I didn't even really, you know, I didn't really think of that. I just, I worked in, I had a background in doing special effects for film and television. I loved like horror movies and psychedelic, cool, like movies from the sixties and seventies, like Italian horror movies, stuff like that, you know? So I guess it's just been my, it's like a culmination of like my brain just sort of being filtered into my website. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, and yeah, there's so much I could ask you as an entrepreneur, but I also want to speak to you today as a writer and an author. And, um, and I'm curious, so the book, your book title, Blood, Sex and Magic, (laughs) (laughs) um, is amazing. It's a great title. And I'm curious what, like, where did that title come from and why are those words so important to, to this book? Like, mm. So this is very funny that you even ask me this because when I was presented with the opportunity to write a book, um, I was just joking around. I was laughing with my literary agent 
And he was like, well, have you thought of like a title? And I was like, you know what? I want my book. I was like, it's a, I was like, you know, I want to just put something that's going to be fun. And I was like, I'm going to make it about blood and sex and magic. And he was like, that's really cool. And I was like, what? And he's like, blood, sex, magic. And then I was laughing and I was like, what? Like, yeah, right. They're not. I was like, Harper is not going to go for that. They're not going to blood, sex, magic, like get real. And so then I was like, you know what? That actually is. That's me. I was like, that That feels very me. And so the way I broke the book down, Blood is about my ancestral lineage. It's about honoring our ancestors, where we come from, our past, my grandparents, my rooting, you know, the blood. Um, and then the sex, you know, we talk about sex. We're talking about sex magic. We're talking about childbirth. And again, like I said, pregnancy loss and situations that I've been in. Um, and then the magic, you know, we're practical. We're going into the magic both in the mundane and like the mystical realm. So I wanted to sort of touch on all three of those things because I think they're all very much synonymous with who I am and <laughs> yeah, fun. <laughs> I love it. I love the, the the cover and the title feel really just good and juicy and exciting. So as you were writing this book and you're bringing in these big moments of your life, I'm curious for you, what has been, and especially cause you have, like you said, the scorpionic placements and I, I have <laughs> some too. My Mars is in Scorpio and I think my generation, our Pluto's in Scorpio. Pluto is in Scorpio. Yeah, yours too. Mm-hmm. Um, what has been your, and this is, this is a, a chunky question, but what has been your biggest kind of transformation this life? If there's been something that you feel like either magically or sort of spiritually that you've, you can look back to and go, wow, that was a big transformation for me, whether it was a belief or something that happened or an idea you had about yourself or something that you could look to as a woman, as a witch and go, I fucking transform that. Is there anything that comes to your mind? Oh my God. This is like, (laughs) this is a really, uh, this is interesting because I do think that there were so many times in writing this book that I broke down and just wept, you know, and I look back on little Brie, the little girl like that was always so imaginative and always just so creative and talkative and strong and very like, I've never been swayed by other people's opinions. So a lot of times, especially for women of color, if you're very vocal and if you're strong, um, people tend to have some resistance to that Mm -hmm. and they want to break you down to feel small, smaller than what you know that you're capable of doing. And oftentimes we have a tendency to believe that over time, like in relationships. Um, So as I was writing and looking back on past relationships with like exes and men who wanted me to be small and they liked the concept of me as like being this powerful, sexually like liberated witch. But then when they actually dated me, they were – 
threatened and afraid of me and my like my creativity and my ideas or standing up for myself or voicing my opinions and I even noticed that like that has always been a um, cycle in my life where I've always had to start, stand very firm in protecting myself and so I think that um, I think that if there was one takeaway from this book, I was just like, I wanted to hug myself and say, like, I'm so proud of you for, you know, coming this far and standing and fighting for yourself and always advocating for yourself. When people in high school, you know, they used to call me a Satanist and they're like, you're a devil worshiper. Because at that time, it was not cool to be black and Mexican you know, and I didn't just listen to one type of music or I dyed my hair colorful and I went to like all kinds of shows and I loved art and I was always very much like expressing myself. And that was weird, you know, to people. They're like, oh, she's crazy and she's so weird. And so now I get to embrace my weirdo. I get to embrace my fucking witch. I get to embrace like being unapologetically myself. So if there's anything that changed, it's my confidence in really being more unapologetic and really just saying fuck you to like everyone who's ever made me feel small. And, you know, that's really the process that I went through in this book. Like I got to cry. I got to look back at how far I've come. And, you know, people have tried to gaslight me for years, even in like the magical community and now they're like oh you know we're so proud of you or you know it's all like but it's like it, it, you know what i'm saying it's like it's kind of the same cycle of like when you are a visionary when you have an idea when you have any type of a creative concept and people hate on you or like try to knock you down you have to stay confident and i think that is where i'm always just i'm going to continue to stand firm <clears throat> in that yeah it's that's part of i think the brave the the brave mission of writing a book because you are essentially revisiting these past selves and these moments in your life and and then you have to edit it and you have to read through it again and you have to read through it again and i don't know how that is for you or was for you but I never um, want to read it again. Okay. I know. Oh my God. I, I was like, this is such a shamanic process because every time, you know, you have that you edit through and you have to feel and really be in touch with those experiences. And, and it is, it feels like an opportunity for healing and clearing. And it's just like, whew, it's intense. At I'm not joking. I feel like it, it, took me and I didn't, I never, because this is my first book. Like, sure. I've done like lots of writing for the blog, but it's like, that's not about myself. It was always about like a ritual or like the full moon or, you know, the new moon, but, um, writing about yourself and traumas and all of the things and you have to be vulnerable. And I'm like, Oh my God, everyone's going to read it. And they're going to think I'm an idiot or like, this is going to happen. Or like, what if my mom or what if someone's mad or, you know, and and I thought about that and I was like, you know what, who gives a shit? Like this happened to you. And this is now your time to really advocate for yourself and you get to change the narrative and you get to tell your story and don't be scared of that. Yeah, And I think that that 
has been, I mean, there's been so many cringe moments. Like even now I'm like, oh, this is so cringe. I'm already like working on my second book because I'm like, I'm excited. Yeah. This like really, this really changed my life. Like, because it showed me like, you can do this. You can really work past it. And it just, it's brave and it's generous. And I think, you know, the part of us as creators, that's like, oh, is it self-indulgent? Is it oversharing? Am I going to piss people off? Are people going to think I'm crazy? Like, I mean, those are my personal voices. Oh, no, <laughs> I have the same voices. We have the same voices right now. I think every author and especially like we're like very strong women. It's like I think that that is the voice like that you hear where you're like, oh, my God. It's going to be, it's too much. That was, you nailed it. I was like, is this too self-indulgent? Right. I know. And and then I'm like, well, girl, I'm telling myself, I'm like, it's too late. <laughs> you wrote the book. So now you have to stand with it and be with it. And I always trust, I'm like, whatever brought me here, whether it was my heart, my guides, my karma, whatever brought me here, I have to trust that. And I have to just keep standing with that, even if my knees are shaking a little bit or whatever. Um, And also to know that artists for like, I don't know, however many years have been storytelling. Like storytelling is such a powerful way that we change the cultural narrative, that we heal, that we come together. And so, you know, I love the the sort of feminine reclamation of our stories and that like we liberate each other through sharing the hard stories. And if we just carry them to the grave, it's like, where are they going? They're just evaporating in a way, right? Or being passed down through our children, that kind of thing. But when we speak them aloud, I really do think we liberate each other because we can look at each other and go, oh my gosh, breathe. Like, I experienced something similar. So that's what I tell myself, at least. (laughs) I mean, truly what you're saying right now is the only thing that got me through, I will say, the sex chapter, like the sex section of that book, of that book, of my book, (laughs) of that book. I'm like, so many books. You got books coming, all the books. See, you see, I'm I'm speaking it into existence. (laughs) I'm like, of that book. Um, But no, truly, uh, the section about like my ex and oh my God, like the pregnancy loss and grieving and all of that, like that took me, I'm not, I was like spiraling and one of the things that I really love, as you know, you were saying, is like with storytelling and with putting these very, very vulnerable, very dark sometimes stories into the world is exactly that. I hope that some woman or I hope that a person can read that section and they're like, wow, that happened to me too. And I'm so happy that she's not just putting on this like, love and light and magic and crystals and the full moon. And I'm like, no, this is what happened. And I want it to die. And this is how I pulled myself out of it. Yeah. What was that when you were writing that and sharing that, did you feel at all worried about like those exes or with that ex reading it or being in contact with you or anything like that? Was that a, something that you consider? Did you consider censoring yourself Yes, to, to protect that person or to protect yourself in relation to that person? 
to keep it very real with you, I wanted to drag them even more. But then my editor was like, Brie, like, I, we're going to have to, like, you know, tone this down a little bit. You know, I don't I don't give a fuck about them. I hope they yeah. do read it. I hope they read it and they can really understand the full weight of what I went through mentally. Yeah. Um, and that, to me, is very healing, knowing that I get to immortalize my story and you're going to read it and your children will read it or your wives will read it or your moms will, you know, it's like you are now going to see what you did and how that impacted my life. And that to me was healing, knowing that information. Yeah. I mean, it's brave too. And, and I say that like genuinely because I know that so many people it's almost like, I don't know if you saw that movie, um, women talking about the Amish women who had gone through like a, uh, they had been, there had been rapes in the community. Anyway, it's a movie got an Oscar last year, but there was a, a part of the film, a huge part of the film. They, the women were deciding, um, how to confront the man that had oh, wow. abused them. And so they eat, they, it was, and it really broke down this kind of um, perspective of being a victim of violence or abuse and how women have chosen often not to speak up because they're either protecting their community, they're protecting their, their livelihood. They don't have any other way to survive. Um, and, or protecting their, their men, which is a whole nother thing. And it was in the film, it was so beautiful to watch the women that were like, no, we have to speak up. And then the ones that were like, no, but we're going to lose this or we're going to upset these people. And I think it showed kind of like an allegory of what many of us go through in different levels where it's like, for maybe our, our ancestors, they, they couldn't always speak up because they would, they didn't have jobs. They didn't have money of their own. And it was like, what are you going to do? You're going to put yourself out on the street, right? With like nothing. And in this, in this film, the women are like, we won't have any money. We we've never lived outside of an Amish community. Like we're going to be basically unhoused. Mm -hmm. And do we want to do that? The beautiful thing is that now, you know, we are in a, such a different position. And so you, I, I'm curious if for you, there is a sort of ancestral healing or reclamation in you speaking this story because maybe the other women in your family didn't. Like, I'm curious if you thought about that. So interestingly enough that you should mention the women in my family. And I love how you segued into this because a huge part of my book is about the strength of the women in my family. The matriarchs of my family, I come from a lineage of very, very powerful, very strong women who very, like very strong on so many levels. Um, but with that, you know, I speak about my grandmother who faced sexual assault when she was a very young girl and forced her to flee her home. Um, and she had my mother. And there was a lot of trauma that my grandmother held, but she channeled that into a very protected, fierce, hard exterior that a lot of people could not break. And 
I will say that obviously that has its share of problems, you know, where you can't connect and you um, have hardened yourself so much that you don't know what softness is. You don't know what love is because you've had to hold such strength at such a young age. And I'm talking about like a child, like a little girl, like fleeing your home at 12 years old and being on the streets of Los Angeles and having a child, your first baby when you're 14 years old, and then carrying just that abuse, carrying like all of those things. For me writing this book, I did it for my grandmothers. This is for the women in my family. Um, Because when I'm healing myself in this storytelling and when I'm healing myself by creating the life that I want by acknowledging the pain and not being strong. I'm giving, allowing myself to enjoy life in all of its phases. You know, I want softness. I want to, uh, you know, uh, show my son that and show just other women, you know, in my family. It's like, you're not hopeless. And, you know, yes, we've had like really hard relationships and we've been through like ups and downs and things like that. But, um, I will say that my grandmother has always been a very strong, like both of my grandmothers. So like both my maternal and paternal grandmothers, um, are very outspoken. (laughs) Uh, but my mom's mother, which you guys will read about the most, my grandma, Sylvia is, a fire. Okay. Like she is unapologetic. She has always been fierce. She has gone to jail for cutting her ex-boyfriend's leather jacket off. Like she is exactly like, I mean, she's, she was like a wild woman. Like she was so complex and so complicated, but truly it all came down to her just saying like, fuck no, like I'm not submitting to anyone I'm going to live my life on my own terms and I'm going to do what I want. Um, but wow. there's a lot of pain there, you know, aside from the freedom and the, you know, wildness. It's like there was also a lot of pain that she didn't know where to put. Yeah. And I'm giving a voice to that because she really um, she really showed me, you know, you don't have to bow down to any man you don't have to submit to them you don't have to you know she was all she was the daughter of 13 children and a very traditional catholic mexican household you know so there was a lot of uh there's a lot of generational trauma especially for women in catholicism and you know christianity and religion very strict religious households so yeah, I mean, my grandmother really was that woman who was like, I'm not I'm not taking this shit anymore. Like, I'm not going to be abused anymore. I'm just going to run away. And she did. Wow. Wow. And she are they both still on the earth alive? No, they've both transitioned. And they were with me during this writing process because I could hear her in my head. Certain when I was writing about her, there were moments, you know, where I had my own rituals, especially um, before writing about my grandmothers. I wanted to make sure that I was like really connecting to them and uh, having their approval, you know, about what I was sharing. And my grandmother, Sylvia, she is... 
even in spirit, uh, she's not a, she's not a, 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 I don't know how to, she's just, she's very strong, (laughs) very stubborn energy, but she's happy with some good offerings. She loves chocolates still on her altar. She likes chocolates and she likes wine and she's just fun. You know, I love her. She's a very, um, like I said, complex, fun individual and energy to write with. Wow. I love that. I love honoring the grandmas and, and, and the women in our lineage as we potentially are the first ones to speak these stories. And sometimes I wonder, I'm like, what would she think? Would she be like, oh my God, you're airing out the family, you know, <laughs> drama? Like, I think my grandma would want me to air out more, yeah, but I yeah. didn't. And so <laughs> I, you know, I kept it cute because I want to be respectful to her. This yeah, is, she's being course. immortalized, you know, she's, she's already yeah. had a rough life. Now I get to tell it and I get to tell her story. I get to talk about um, how much she's impacted me and given me the strength to, you know, make some really scary life decisions. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so powerful. And I look forward to reading that. And, um, you know, my dad's Brazilian. So I have a Brazilian grandma who I wrote about in my next book. And and she was a strong, hard woman. And whenever, but super powerful, like matriarch, like Capricorn, um, Whenever I've had like a psychic reading and she's come through, they're like, whoa, okay, she's really fierce. And one reading that I had, she was like, this is what the, the psychic told me. She was like, you have put your hand a little too close to the fire. I would have done it differently, but it's fine or something. And I just thought, oh shit, she's been watching me like totally, you know, make all kinds of crazy decisions. And um, she's been with me, you know? And, um, and then my other grandma has come through many readings and she's completely different, super Southern. Like that's uh, my grandma. She was from the South too. So she was like the Southern, like just sweetheart grandma baking cakes and, and she's just so like I like to call her like she's soft but she's strong and she yeah. was like really the embodiment of that southern mm. hospitality like baking like baking cakes and cornbread and like she always had like these like perfectly seasoned cast iron skillets and you know just like stuff yeah. where you can just she's very warm and like mm. like she just feels like a warm blanket yeah <laughs> I love feeling them. I love feeling the, the, the difference there and, and your honoring of them. And, you know, it's something that I, I wonder about with just modern humans who aren't in, in a practice of ritual or honoring or offering. Um, if people really give their elders, whether they're living or past, if they give them that space in their heart or in their home or that reverence. And um, you mentioned offering the other grandma, I think it was your Mexican side grandma. Yes, that's, that's um, my mom's mother. Yeah. You mentioned offering her wine and chocolate. And so I, I would love to hear about your practice of offering, um, and how that, how that came into your world, how it's a part of your day to day. So my ancestral altars are a huge component in my spiritual practice, So honoring my past on, 
you know, loved ones. Um, there is a very large altar in my house, <laughs> um, which always consists of having water, um, fresh water for them, um, tobacco for my grandfather, things that he enjoyed in his life. And my grandmother has her favorite nail polish color, and she also has her favorite perfume. Um, we have wine for my grandmother. We have chocolates. We have flowers. Like, you know, all of these things um, culturally, I know you know this already, Alex, but like during like Dia de los Muertos, so it's like having this big altar, like that is always when I create my biggest altar. Yeah. But um, I just love having sacred space in my house. It's very anchoring. So we have the ancestors. You know, we have my pet Klaus on a different altar. I have my beauty altar in my bedroom, which is a consists of a statue to Venus. And that has all of my love goddess and sensual oils and flowers and things that make me feel really beautiful and embodied and sexy. But um I have altars just all over my house, you know, yeah. <laughs> like I, each of yeah. them has a very specific focus and place. So it's a way for me to connect and channel my energy. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, like the ancestral altar uh, tends to be the one where I like to sit in the morning. I sit there at night. It's where I connect with them. I sit and we have coffee in the morning. Um, you know, if I'm cooking a very special dinner, you know, I offer them a plate. So offerings to me um, are important in spiritual practice and work because I think a lot of times people get it confused where they just ask for things. They're just asking, asking, asking. But your relationship to your ancestors, your relationship to your deities, your relationship to your guides um, – it needs to be a uh, how do I explain it? what is it like reciprocal in, reciprocal I don't know why yeah. I couldn't think of the word but a reciprocal relationship you don't want to one side it where how would you feel you know if someone's constantly like has their hand out and begging you for shit but it's like they don't give you anything in return you know so right. I do think it's important um, in my practice to continue to stay consistent and having a relationship uh, with them and with my guides and just talking to them, letting them know yeah. what's going on in life. Yeah, I think that's so important. And I think it's it's kind of missing from a lot of Western spiritual practice. Um, and you see it a lot in other cultures besides sort of American culture on a whole, right? Like I see that within American culture, there are all these other cultures. Um but maybe the one that we see on TV or in movies or in media, that kind of thing. It's like if you go to Mexican culture or Balinese culture or Indian culture, or there are many different cultures where offering is just a part of life, you know, yes. offering to the land, offering to the ancestors, offering to the deities, offering to, to the statue of Mary on the corner, who is, mm -hmm. you know, like leaving flowers and um I hope that more of that comes into kind of the Western wellness well, sphere. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, it's interesting because having a ancestry of African and Mexican, you know, ancestry, it, it already feels very much like deeply a part of like my blood. So it just feels very natural to me to honor um, 
those who've passed before me and who have really helped to create my life, you know, and who have played such an important role in my life. I feel like that's like the least that I can do right? Um, by honoring like them. flower some chocolate. <laughs> right. It's like, it's like the least that I can do. And I just, I love, it's a sense of comfort too. I love knowing that they are with me and watching yeah. me and chatting with me and talking to me and blessing our family and watching over our family. So that's yeah. important. That's huge. Yeah. It's a big relationship. And just hearing you say that, I'm like, yeah, I, I always am like, pontificating on like what made the white Protestant colonizers so messed up. I'm like, why would they just keep asking? Like, I think in the prayers of the Christian church that I grew up in, the Presbyterian, like on my mom's side and my dad's side was the mystical Catholics in Brazil <laughs> who are super influenced by African culture because of the slaves in, in Brazil yes. that were brought over. Um, but the Protestants, I'm like, they, I don't think they gave anything. I think they would just sit and pray and be like, God, help me. God, help me. God, help yeah, me. God, give me this Cadillac. <laughs> I've prayed enough. I'm like, where did that disconnect happen of like, those churches are so on a whole, I say, very empty and sterile, right? Like it's the complete opposite of the flowers and candles and, you know, just the sort of mystical regalia. And um, yeah, in a different life, I would be a religious historian, but probably not this one. <laughs> You're like, oh, maybe next time. Maybe next time. Put that on the list for next time. <laughs> um, so... Where did your spiritual and mystical journey begin? I have not heard this origin story about you. And I know we just heard some about through how you've connected through your family, but um, I would love to hear how that, how that started for you. Oh my goodness. I truly have always just been such a little weirdo. <laughs> I've always been, I'm not joking with you when I say this. I know this is kind of weird, but I've always been very sensitive to what I call death energy. So from maybe age six, um, I began to see what people would call spirits mm -hmm. or ghosts. And I was really afraid of that because I didn't know where to put that. Where do you, what do you tell your parents? You know, <laughs> like I remember very distinctly um, at age nine, we lived in a very old um, house in Los Angeles. It was built in like the early 1940s. And there would be a man in our backyard who was like transparent, like translucent um, and I would just see him, he just sitting back there and I was really afraid at first and very scared. I, I really didn't know what to do. And I would tell my sister and she's like, what? My sister's older than me. She's eight years older. So she would just be like, what the fuck are you like? What are you talking about? Like there's a man. And, and so I realized, you know, at a young age that you don't talk about that. You kind of just put it away and you don't discuss the weird feelings or the weird things that you would see. Um, so yeah, living in that house was pretty terrifying. <laughs> um, and then my grandfather and my grandmother, um, 
Well, this, she was like my step grandmother. They were from his wife was from Louisiana, and she was a practitioner. Um, and she in that house was super haunted. I mean, like really filled with impressions. Um, someone committed suicide in there, mm. and things would turn on at night. The TV, the doors would open. I mean, like full poltergeist. Like I'm not joking. Like really terrifying. And I would just really try to put that outside of my mind. So I think that when I got into junior high, I started finding out more about esoteric books and occult books. And my cousin, she was like one of those OG gothic, you know, cool teenagers. So she had like all the Wicca books and tarot and everything. I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. Like this is, I, you know, we, she had a Ouija board. She had like all the things, right? And I loved it. I was like, oh my, this is, someone gets me. Someone understands me. So I do think that like the full beginning of like my journey has always been innately inside of me. So like outside of my grandmother's spiritual practices, like my dad's grandmother, what people would call like conjure or like hoodoo, my dad's mother was a practitioner of that. Like, so those are things I always thought that was like outdated though. I thought she was superstitious. I did not think it was magical. I didn't get it until I was an adult. But, you know, I would say that like my real journey into like spirituality, witchcraft, all of those things really started when I was a child, like a, a teenager was when I like started learning tarot and really delving into the world of spirit. And I was like, oh, you're not crazy. Like there's mm-hmm. other people that can help you develop that mediumship or, you know, your psychic um, your psychic visions or, you know, things like that. It was like I really realized like, oh, shit, like this is a real thing. Like you're not just seeing things, you're, you know. So it was very cool. Um, and then I just, you know, over time you just kind of uh, – meet people. I've met so many different kinds of practitioners and witches and you know what I mean? Like you just, you meet everybody, but I, I really didn't start getting back into it, I guess, until I was in my early twenties. Um, after I had my son and I think that pregnancy sparked a whole new level um, of your psychic senses. Like, I don't know if you've been having really intense dreams or (laughs) your senses really heighten to another level. So I don't know if like your psychic senses. They have, I walked into a house like two weeks ago, not to interrupt you, a Victorian house that we rented on Airbnb. I walked in, I was on the phone with my best friend moon. I walked in, I said, hell no. I walked right out. It was 11 PM. I went to a hotel. (laughs) Good. Good. I was just like, not fucking with that. Nope. No. No. Um, And I told my partner and he was like, are you sure you don't want to like take a beat? I'm like, no, my, my senses right now, love, they are full clarity and, and, and I got to listen. But in the past I would have made myself sit there and I would have been like, I can clear it or I can work with it. I was just like, no, no. You go into like mama bear mode, especially like psychic energy, it is heightened, intense, like next level. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but when I was pregnant with Elliot, 
um, and this is what sort of like really like, ah, like shook me. Um, I had this dream that I was sitting around a campfire with these three men and their faces were completely painted in white. And they told me to drink more water and they gave me an offering of like a big bowl of water. And that week I went into my doctor's appointment and they had told me that my amniotic fluid was low and that I was like really dehydrated because I was like sick and not drinking enough water. So I I was like, that's so like interesting, you know, how they speak to you. But Yeah. yeah. That's beautiful. Um, do you write about your journey into motherhood and blood sex magic? I touched on it like briefly because I want to respect my son's privacy. Yeah. And I don't know how much of that he's like a teen now. So I'm like, I don't know how much of that he's like, oh God, like I don't want my mom to like, you know, <laughs> I don't right. know. He has his own like life, you know? And so I want to yeah. be mindful of protecting his energy and protecting him because there's a lot of weird people out there. And, you know, you know how that is. I just, I'm very guarded and I'm very protective of him. So I do talk about like my pregnancy with him and how I felt so honored. And I still feel so honored completely to be his mom. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do want him to still have that autonomy um, over himself and his life and his path. And I don't want you know, I don't want to put him into a space, especially like on a platform where maybe he doesn't want to be, you know, he, yeah. he needs to have his own way and he, you know, his own journey. Yeah. Did you feel like when you were transforming and becoming a mother that those kind of senses or psychic abilities stayed open and online after that point? Was there any kind of initiation through that process for you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I am still so, 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 so in tune with my son. And even he laughs about it now because he's like, mom, like, how did you know that? Or like, (laughs) or I mean, and, and even like with his energy, he is probably one of the most like psychic children are he's not a child of teens intuitive humans that I know Mm -hmm. and I didn't even have to do anything you know I didn't even I haven't told you know I don't teach him any of these things but he's just very natural at reading people's energy reading vibes of the room reading impressions of spaces Uh, we can just like look at we just look at each other we can both give each other the look and we're just like "Uh uh-uh you know or like if something's completely off we both just give each other the look and we just will like laugh or you know we'll like be like oh i think we should get out of here but he's very very good at reading people and he's also really good at reading tarot wow and did you teach him how to read tarot Interest. You know what's so funny is that when he was about five years old, he took an interest to tarot, and I just would lay out all of my decks, and I'd be like, "Hey, like pick which one you feel called to, like which one you want to read with." So he'd always pick out his own deck, and he'd pull cards for me. And the good, like the thing I love about children, um, 
who are into interested in tarot, they're so pure. They don't have any um they don't have any ideas or, you know, right. preconceived notions of what the cards mean. So letting them interpret them with their own clarity, with this own like unbiased filter, I think is so much fun to do. It's a really great exercise if you have small children and they're interested in reading for you. That's awesome. Yeah, because thinking about all of the information we were fed around, I mean, I was, I can speak to growing up in Georgia, that tarot was, you know, the Satanist or bad. I actually got a friend, I've told this story somewhere before, but a friend's dad said I was never allowed to come back to their house again because I brought tarot into the house and I was reading tarot with the girls. Oh my God. And, you know, yeah, they thought, I mean, they were just like, she's Satanist. She can't come back here again. It was very it was another one of those moments, which again, you've had many of where you're like, I'm the weirdo, I'm the slut, I'm the witch. Yeah, that's the-, the entire life. That's exactly. all of those things are the story the weirdo, the slut, the witch, the bitch. Exactly. I love all of those titles. Now I'm like, yes, that's, that's going to be my next book. (laughs) The weirdo, the the bitch, the witch. (laughs) The witch. Okay. No one can, that's ours. Okay, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) But it's interesting because of the type of woman that, that creates, right. Of like having to stand in your own clarity and power at a young age, even when you're heartbroken, that like you're being um, ridiculed or bullied, but event, but it does make you stronger. And it does bring that little kind of fuck you guys watch me go like have a fucking fabulous life. You know, (laughs) don't you think, I feel like to me, that's always been the story of the witch. I just love that. You know, I love that the autonomy over the witch, like no one gets to define what that looks like. And it's just, it, it really, the witch just transcends really all like ideas of like what that is supposed to look like, you know, where you have like these archetypes of queen and princess and, you know, all of these things, but it's like the witch has always been defined by her or his, himself. Um, and we really create our own rules and our lifestyle. If that's like out in a forest or like, you know, (laughs) or in a big city, yeah. Or in a city or in a castle or having money or being sexy or being ugly and just like not giving a fuck like about any of those, you know? So I just, I've always loved the power of the witch and being able to define yourself and not letting anyone else do that for you. I love that. One last question for you, for anyone who's listening, who's maybe a few years behind, maybe still struggling with their own healing or feeling the weight of their own family trauma or intergenerational trauma, maybe still feeling a little bit like an outsider, um, what would you say to them? And do you still have days where those things come and sit with you or haunt you and what helps you to regain your, your clarity or your, um, your sort of sense of center? Oh my goodness. This is such a good question because I think that to a certain degree, everyone, no matter how 
cool or confident or grounded or healed or magical they look online, um, there is always that inner voice that tells you that you're an imposter or that you're not good enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not smart enough, you're not magical, you're not powerful, you're not any of those things. And I think a really wonderful way to counter that that I've learned is to allow yourself to feel that way, but you also have to pull yourself out of that and think about all of the amazing things that you contribute to other people's lives, regardless of if you know that or not. Um, you know, and who cares? You're not even if you don't have to share it like on a platform, it's like the fact that you can wake up every day and you can create a new life for yourself. If you don't like something in your life, I'm not joking. I'm not one of those people who's like, just manifest your own reality and right. you can change whatever you want to be. It's like, but you kind of can. It's like you can wake up and like shave your head or like go put on a new outfit or like create a new identity for yourself. Like if you hate your life, then create a new story and go yeah. move to another. <laughs> I was like, don't let anyone define you. Like yeah. the biggest thing that you can do for your confidence is just saying like, fuck everyone. I'm going to like do what I want and like make myself, you know, you can truly create your own yeah. version of reality that you want. And I'm like, if I listened to every ex-boyfriend that told me that I wasn't going to be shit and like told me I was too stupid to run my own website and told me that I was too ugly or I was too fat. What? Mm-hmm. Like I had an ex-boyfriend um, when I first started Hoodwitch. He told me, you know, you really shouldn't take pictures of yourself and post them on there because you're not really like, you know, you don't really fit into the like idea of what like a witch looks like. And I believe that. So I didn't take pictures of myself. I was so like insecure and he made me feel so ugly. And <laughs> I think like when I look I back mean, and look at this like, woman, but yeah, <laughs> he literally told me that he was just like, you should stop eating rice because oh, you're okay. like really gaining weight and you know, it's not going to look good in pictures. And I believed that and I would like stop yeah. and I would just like, you know, and this is the thing. It's like, I'm not joking. I I felt so ugly. This man convinced me that I was so unattractive. That I should not take pictures of myself. And I still have remorse. You know, when I look back on the beginning phases of Hoodwitch, I wish I would have taken more photos. Oh. I wish I would have like done more interviews and like stood up for myself and I didn't. And I was like, how can I, and this is one of the things I guess to kind of to go back to your question. It's like, well, how do I feel empowered on days where I don't feel powerful? Yeah. But it's that connection to remembering how fucking far I've come where I'm like, I am still that little girl. I always envision myself on days where I feel like really shitty. Like I remember little Brie, like the nine-year-old girl or like the 10-year-old girl that, <clears throat> you know, just wanted a hug and I would think I was so cool now if I could be back to my nine-year-old self and see myself as an adult now I want to just hug myself and be like look we did it we're cool and like <laughs> we did it like people you know we we did it we created a life 
where we get to be the devil girl. You know, you know, you get to be the devil worshiper. You get to be the witch. You get to be the psychic. You get to be all of those things, and people love you for that. And it's exciting. So whenever I feel down about myself, I really do envision myself as little little Brie and give her the hug. Like, what is she looking for right now? Because yeah. a lot of it is that inner child insecurity. It's about past, you know, yeah. insecurity. That's like, what do they call it? The inner child. How yeah. can I nurture her? How can I make her feel safe? How can I protect her? And when I do that, I feel strong as an adult. Yes, that's it. That's really, I think, a message for all of us. It's like, how can I nurture and protect protect that inner child so that I can feel strong now as an adult? Or however you said it was better than how I rephrased it. <laughs> um, no, but it's true. I just, I always look at that and I'm like, how, what does she need right now? And I always tell my, my friends this too. And like, if it's a shitty relationship, I'm like, see yourself as your own daughter. Exactly. I love that. Yes. How would you protect her? Yeah. Would you put your daughter in that circumstance? Would you make them do that thing? Like, hell no. Even when you're best friends, sometimes I'm like, would I do that? Would I say that? Or would I (laughs) ask them to do that? So true. So, so true. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad to have just spent this time with you and to reunite with you and just to celebrate you in this book and hearing you, you know, say that some guy said, don't do that stuff back then. I'm so glad for you that, that now you're having this book out in the world, you're going to do so many interviews and it's going to be beautiful and exciting and people can see, um, see you and feel you and you do happen to be beautiful. So, (laughs) (laughs) but regardless of your physical beauty, your stories and your heart and what you offer are so big. And I know that hood, Witch has impacted the lives of millions of people, which is tremendous. And I hope you're celebrating yourself for that. And I hope that this book just continues on in that vein. (laughs) I knew I was going to cry at the end, but I'm just like, oh my God, I tried to hold out, but I can't. And I just thank you so much for having me. I feel like this has and will continuously be this journey for me of strength. And again, just like keep going, you know, do it for your grandmothers, do it for all of the witches and the bitches and the sluts and the, you know, like all of us, the weirdos <laughs> and the wild women. And I always say this: I am like, do it for the creators and the destroyers. So fuck yeah, yeah. like we're gonna yeah. like keep going. But yeah. thank you so much for having me. Yes. <laughs> yes, thank you, thank you everybody for tuning in. Please go buy Bree's book, celebrate her, write an Amazon review, um, share it with a friend as an author. I know that all of that is really important. So please do that. And obviously follow the hood, Witch. Bree also is doing retreats in person. And, you know, I think the next one is sold out for 2024. Are there still I, I think there was like two spots left and it's probably going by to the be. time this comes out. <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be in Costa Rica. So check it out. Yeah, so watch out for her retreats as well. And um, thank you again. Thank you for sharing yourself here today. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to today's episode. Before you go, I want to offer you some questions for contemplation, integration, and writing if you wish. The first one is to consider, was there something in today's episode that touched you or moved you or triggered you? An image, an idea, a story? Take a moment and just think about it. Is there anything that provoked you, that reached inside of you, that perhaps brought up a memory or an idea from your life? What in this episode inspired you? Was there something that surprised you, that stood out for you? Could you jot it down just to remember? Maybe it was a concept or something that the guest said that took you by surprise, but that uplifted you, that brought you to some new awareness. Was there something about this episode that upset you, that provoked you, that pissed you off? Giving yourself full permission to dive into that. Was there anything about this episode that soothed your soul, that helped you feel a little bit more belonging, a little bit more at home, a little bit less like you're the only one? Taking those questions into your heart or into your journal or into your day. If anything stood out that you want to share with me, please do so on social media, direct into my DMs. I'd love to hear what touched you, what moved you, what you're taking from this time together. And if this episode truly inspired you in some kind of way, share it with a friend, like, subscribe, and write a review. It means a lot to me. Thank you. So happy you're here with me, daring to feel.